welcome to a new episode of Millennial Myths. I'm Samantha Rank, a senior at Penn State. So far in this series, we have explored topics like socialism and the Electoral College, all topics that can be confusing and a bit overwhelming at times. However, through a combination of personal stories and expert analysis, this podcast aims to clarify these topics and expose the truth about them. Before we begin today's show, if you're enjoying this podcast, please leave a five-star rating or comment on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, back to the show. Our topic for today is Medicare for All. Senator Kamala Harris claimed that healthcare should be looked at not as a privilege, but as a human right. The California senator didn't go into detail about her plan specifically or how it would affect the patients or be paid for. Let's take a closer listen to her comments. What is your solution to ensure that people have access to quality health care at an affordable price? And does that solution involve cutting insurance companies as we know them out of the equation? Um, I believe the solution, and I I'm, and I'm actually feel very strongly about this, is that we need to have Medicare for all. That's just the bottom line. say this, and this is, I think, why you're also asking this question. What we know is that to, to live in a civil society, to be true to the ideals and the spirit of who we say we are as a country, um, we have to appreciate and understand that access to health care is a, it should not be thought of as a privilege. It should be understood to be a right. It should be understood to be something that all people should be entitled to so that they can live a productive life, so they can have dignity. And having a system that makes a difference in terms of who receives what based on your income is unconscionable, it is cruel, and in many situations that I have witnessed, inhumane. How would Americans pay for Medicare for All? Would you be able to keep your current insurance? I asked people around Washington, D.C. these questions and more. Let's hear what they had to say. Is Medicare for all a realistic goal in America? I guess so. I don't think so. I don't know why. Uh, I don't think so. I think sometimes the health care for everybody should be a privilege, and it, it takes work to get it. Um, so I don't think it should be for everybody. I think so. We have it in the Netherlands, and uh, it's really good. So Yes. Because doesn't everybody need Medicare, so realistically it should Work. Do you think you could keep your current health insurance under a government-controlled health insurance program? No, I think there's different tiers that people are going to need, and the government's just going to give a one-tier basic plan to everybody. For example, my husband needs a higher tier. He has different genetic things that he would need more that the government wouldn't pay for. We don't. It's not government-controlled in the Netherlands, right? No, I don't think so. No, I don't think so, so I don't know. How do you think we as Americans would be able to pay for a system like Medicare for All? I don't know if it's possible. I mean, uh, everyone has to be contributing. I think that's a big part. Everyone. It's a difficult question. We pay like, you pay every month a amount of money and you can choose how much, uh, you, yeah, how big it is or what you pay. And then, but you have like the minimum amount and then I think that's a good idea. So like... It's one for us, 100 euros per month. Yeah, something, something. Like that. And then you, you can determine what you want to pay uh, based on how big the risk is that you get sick or that you will need medical care. And the more you pay, the, the, the cheaper it is to get insurance for it. Ooh, uh, taxes? I don't know. Yeah, taxes? 
It'd be more taxes everybody to get everybody to pay into it. Before we dive into today's topic and discuss these answers more, we're going to take a quick break. When we return, heritage expert Meridian Baldacci will be in studio. Overwhelmed by the 24-7 news cycle? Looking for a way to keep up with the news that matters? The Daily Signal podcast brings you the top news of the day, plus interviews with lawmakers, authors, Heritage Foundation experts, and more on the most important policy debates in America today. If you're a conservative who wants to be on top of the news, check out the Daily Signal podcast, available every weekday morning. I am now joined by Meridian Baldacci, Research Assistant in Domestic Policy Studies at the Heritage Foundation and also a former intern. Meridian, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. What would single-payer health care look like and how would it impact health insurance as we know it? Well, single-payer health care is something that people throw around. They throw on the term single-payer, Medicare for all, the public option. It all gets conflated. In a nutshell, what all this means is that all of your private options go away. They're abolished. They're outlawed. You, you, you have the government as a single payer for your health care. So, so in other words, right now we have a system where the government pays some for certain programs. You have your employer paying some. In some cases, people purchase their own insurance. Single payer refers to the fact that now the government would be solely paying for that. In order to do that, that means that you do have to get rid of all private options, though. And in fact, the Medicare for all, the leading Medicare for all proposals would actually get rid of most government programs today, including Medicare itself. Ironically, it would be replaced by an entirely new program loosely based off of the current Medicare program. But what you have is is not the employer-sponsored insurance, where the majority of people are getting their insurance today. It's not purchasing your own insurance. It's entirely going on this government-run program. Here's the problem with that, is we know government-run programs don't really work. You look time and time again, whether it's in other countries or if you're talking right here in the United States in Medicaid, which is kind of a, a single-payer program in its own right, patients aren't able to get the access to the doctors they need. They're not able to get the quality of care that they need. Uh, and a lot of that has to do with the structure of a single-payer health care program. We heard some people in the Man on the Street interviews saying raising taxes would be a payment option for Medicare for All. What is the projected price of Medicare for All, and is this a realistic goal for America? That's a a really good question. I think people understand you have to have some kind of pay for on Medicare for All. You can't just expect the government to pay for this. So we know in the aggregate it would cost about $32.6 trillion over the course of 10 years. Uh, Most experts agree on that. I think we live in such an age, though, of billions and trillions of dollars that no one really can quantify what that means for them. Um, What that means for you personally is that your taxes for the majority of people would more than double. Uh, So if you think right now about your average 15 percent FICA tax, now think about adding another 20 percent on top of that. And so suddenly 35 cents out of every dollar that you make roughly is being taken out to pay for your health care. For a majority of Americans, that would actually be more than what it costs to pay for your premiums right now, which is what a lot of this frustration is stemming from, is from Americans who feel like their premiums are too high or feel like they don't have enough choices. Ironically, Medicare for All abolishes your choices and then raises your costs to more than what they currently are. So it's really a lose-lose situation. It is a lose-lose situation. Are there non-financial costs to having Medicare for All? Yeah, there really are. There, there are big trade-offs. So the, the trade-offs being that all right, you, everyone, has, everyone has a coverage card now, right? I think that that's what everyone wants in Medicare for All is to say, I am covered, I'm insured. But coverage is not the same thing as care. So when you say that you have a coverage card, what good does that do you if 
the doctor's just going to put you at the bottom of a wait list or if you're going to be told, no, actually, that drug is too expensive. We're not going to pay for that. That's the trade-off that you make when you, you sign up for Medicare for All. Earlier this year, you wrote a very detailed report titled Single-Payer Healthcare, Rhetoric versus Reality. Can you briefly discuss some of the examples you gave in this report? Yeah, so there, there's a lot of arguments out there that you'll hear in favor of Medicare for All, ranging from what you hear Kamala Harris talking about, saying that this is not, this shouldn't be just a privilege, that healthcare absolutely needs to be a right, to people giving more detailed arguments like we're going to save money on administrative costs. Uh, so I took some of those, those arguments piece by piece. Uh, I think the biggest ones being that um, we're now going to see in better healthcare quality for people, better healthcare quality, better healthcare access. Um, because th- that's really one of the biggest arguments. If Americans are frustrated that they don't have choices or they feel like they don't have access to the doctor or it's prohibitively expensive for them to have access to a doctor, that's why people want Medicare for all. What we know is that this actually is not the case at all. In fact, you have the opposite. So I already addressed the cost issue. But in regards to the access issue, the way a single-payer system works is you have the government saying, all right, we're going to set this budget and this is how much we're going to spend on health care. If your health care is too expensive and it falls outside of that budget, you're not in the budget. You don't get your health care. If you happen to be early on a queue, then you can get in. If you're low on a queue, because remember, the government's now running the system, just like an insurance company would. They're the ones who are making these decisions. You're now pushed to the bottom of the queue, and you're waiting for months and months and months. We've seen this in other countries. In Canada, uh, people were on wait lists for over a million procedures in a single year. We're not talking about they were on wait lists for a week to get into the doctor. We're used to that in America. That sometimes just just comes with come, comes with the the system. People are on wait lists for up to a year sometimes, sometimes even longer than a year for simple procedures, for life saving procedures, for things ranging from mental health to knee replacements. What countries have government-controlled health care? This is an interesting question. A lot of people think that the rest of the Western world has uh, has single-payer health care because that, that's what's been sold to the public. That's not really the case. Um, there's a lot of countries that have uh, some variation of, of compelled health care. So, you know, everyone is it, a little bit like the individual mandate in Obamacare. Everyone has to buy health care um, or you'll, you'll have variations on that theme. Uh, but in terms of actual single-payer health care, where we're saying the government is the sole payer, there are really only a couple countries that are close to what Medicare for All would do. Uh, the first one is Canada, uh, where the government uh, sets the set, sets budgets, and then each province has to figure out how to work within those budgets to give everyone health care. Um, in Canada, private health care is completely outlawed, just as it would be in the United States with Medicare for All. Um, in England, this is another system that's a little bit similar to how Medicare for All would be. In England, though, um, people do still have the option to get private health care. So it's not even truly a single-payer health care system. If, if you want to pay into a private system in addition to paying your taxes, you can still do that. Medicare for All would go further than both Canada and Britain, um, be really a radical system in getting completely rid of private insurance um, and completely putting everyone onto a government program. I know you mentioned earlier about long lines pertaining to waiting lists, um, sometimes up to a year. What other consequences would patients have if a government-controlled health insurance policy was implemented in the United States? You'll see denials of care, too. This is something that's been repeatedly a problem in the U.K. A few years ago, they had an issue where 
uh, some women wanted to go on a breast cancer treatment. It was an experimental treatment. Um, in the United States, though, it had already been used and had been shown to extend women's lives um, who had severe stages of breast cancer. Um, it was an expensive drug, though, because it was experimental. And so in the UK, they said, well, this doesn't really fall within the budget, so we're not going to pay for this. Uh, and a lot of women who might have been able to have their lives extended by this drug weren't even able to access that experiment uh, because the government just decided it was too much to pay. You know, when when you're in a single-payer system, the government can make the calculus that if the cost of your care is too high, then they will choose to save their money instead of saving your life. And it should never be that way. Interesting. I feel like that's a lot of information that isn't really always referenced in the public, especially by politicians, specifically liberal politicians. And it's something that's very important and especially something that we should all be paying attention to. Definitely something that that something we should be paying attention to and something that should inspire conservatives to have have some hope that uh, or or inspiration rather that that we need to to have our, our own answer because Americans are frustrated. You know, costs doubled in four years after Obamacare. People are facing narrow networks. Uh, They often have little or no choice of an insurer. They're trapped in one insurance plan. So people are frustrated. There's a real frustration here that's leading people to want to go to Medicare for all, which, as I've articulated, would be far worse than the current system. Uh, But there there are conservative options out there, and I think this should motivate people to look for these other real answers uh, rather than just defaulting to what the left is offering in Medicare for all. Yeah, well, hopefully after today's episode, people will look for more alternatives and more options rather than just taking what they're told and and running with it. So on that note, we're going to end today's episode of Millennial Myths. Meridian, thanks so much for joining me today to debunk some myths about Medicare for All. In the final episode next week, we'll be discussing raising the minimum wage. So be sure to tune in to this season's finale. Millennial Myths is executive produced by Samantha Rank, script edited by Lauren Evans and Daniel Davis, sound design by Samantha Rank. For more information, visit heritage.org.